We're now going to spend some time looking at God's Word together, and we're going to be continuing our series looking at Revelation um, and the letters to the seven churches um, in in Revelations uh, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And today we have reached Revelation chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at the church in Sardis together. So if you've got your Bibles um, and you'd like Turn with me to uh, Revelation chapter 3. Uh, we're going to be starting at verse 1, going through to verse 6. Alternatively, the words are on the screen as well, if you'd like to follow along as we read together. Uh, but let's just pause and uh, uh, leave some space to listen to God's word together this morning. To the angel of the church in Sardis write... These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This morning, as I say, we're going to continue our series looking at these letters to the church in Revelation, and particularly to the church in Sardis. And if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you'll have heard about the previous churches that we've already got up, looked at looking to this point, to the church in Ephesus, and how they'd lost their first love as they lived their lives together for Jesus, um, and the challenge for them to rekindle that love. You'll have heard about the church in Smyrna, which was under pressure, standing firm for Jesus. And then the churches in Pergamon and Thyatira that were both trying to hold on to truth, but in very different circumstances. And as we have looked at these letters, we have seen how these are prophetic letters. The Apostle John is cut off on the island of Patmos as he sees this wonderful revelation of Jesus. And as Jesus reveals this picture of who he is to John. And as Jesus reveals himself to John, he shares with him these seven letters for seven churches. But we've also seen that these letters to the seven churches are just not written in a prophetic sense. They're not just written to the church 2,000 years ago, but they also have real-world application for our church here today as well. And so we're working through these letters that we might hear Jesus has to say to us, his church, this morning. Sardis 
was a large and wealthy city. It was a place that was really blessed by its location. It sat at the intersection of five major roads. And so because of its location, it became a place of great wealth and great industry. It had lots of different and diverse cultures living there because people were always traveling and moving through Sardis. It was a place that was full of life and bursting at the seams. The church, like its community in Sardis, appeared to be a really good place to be as well. It was wealthy, it was secure, it was thriving. Um, in fact, the church in Sardis, uh, in, and Sardis is unique in all comparison to all of the other seven churches that Jesus writes a letter to in that it had no real major day problems to be continually battling against. They weren't under pressure. They weren't battling to hold on to truth from outside forces. Jesus says it straight to them. Their reputation was that they were a church that was alive. Things seemed to be great for the church in Sardis. Their Instagram page looked amazing. However, Jesus doesn't just see like the world sees. The church in Sardis might have had any major issues it was battling. The church in Sardis might have been growing and wealthy and financially healthy. The church might have had a reputation of being alive. But Jesus sees the church differently to the rest of the world. And he says, you've got a reputation of being alive, but in fact, you are dead. Just take a moment to let that phase sink in. Could there be a blunter, more devastating message for the church to hear in Sardis? You've got a reputation of being alive, but really I look at you and I see that you're dead. Can you imagine what it was that Jesus saw in this church that made him respond in such a way? We've no idea what it was, but could it have been that the church had this immaturity to their faith? Settling for superficial faith rather than really plowing in and having a deep relationship with Jesus? Was this church just so comfortable in their own strength that they'd started to rely on their own wealth, in their own ability, in their own position, rather than relying on God to sustain them? Had they lost their heart for one another, for those around them to know Jesus for themselves? Instead, they just enjoyed their nice, wealthy, comfortable lifestyle. Had they settled? Had they given up the fight of standing for Jesus in the place that they lived and just became a nice community instead? The church in Sardis had no perceived problems, but God had a problem with them. Let me be honest for a moment. I spend most of my time throughout the week wishing, sometimes, most of the time, that there wouldn't be any issues in our church. Um, it would be lovely. My life would be so much easier to not have any issues. Could you imagine a church where there were no funding shortages? 
no people or volunteer shortages, where there weren't any pastoral issues, where there weren't organizational glitches, where we didn't have to find leaders to serve in ARC, the battle, where we didn't have to battle to unlock new opportunities to reach out with the hope and life of Jesus out into the community around us. Wouldn't it be wonderful when we are facing issues and problems, they can quickly become draining and frustrating, and we can just wish that life was simpler. But then I hear about the church in Sardis, and I think, well, actually, my problems aren't so bad after all. Uh, I'd much rather us be a church with problems and alive than a church that doesn't have problems, but God says you're dead. I'd much rather that we have problems then God have a problem with us. Every problem presents an opportunity. Every problem means that we are seeking to make progress. Every problem illustrates that we are in a battle. And one thing we know is that on the, front, the church is on the front line of the greatest and most important battle the world has ever seen. The battle between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world, the battle between good and evil. Let's remind ourselves that we are not here for an easy life as a church community. Jesus doesn't expect us to be a church who have no problems. Jesus doesn't promise us an easy, comfortable life. A life without problems might look good and successful to the people around us. It might look like we're full of life, but Jesus sees it differently. Jesus is not interested in what the world sees. Instead, he looks at the heart. Clearly, there was an issue with the heart of the church of Sardis. The church in Sardis looked great. They looked like they were brimming with life, but Jesus saw them differently. Where the world saw life, Jesus saw death. So Jesus offers the church a solution to this problem. In verse 2, he tells them to wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. As I look at this verse, the phrase that stands out to me is, wake up. He wants to get the church's attention. He wants them to address this, to stop sleepwalking into trouble. But then he tells them to strengthen what remains. And that idea of remaining makes my mind jump back to John 15. And if you're not familiar with the, that passage of the Bible, this is Jesus describing himself as the true vine. And as he uses this imagery of a vine, he encourages his disciples to remain in him to remain rooted in the vine, to not be disconnected from Jesus. If Listen to verses 5 to 8 of John 15, um, where Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Spring is hopefully just round the corner, and it's the time of year where new life is starting to spring out as we wander around our communities, as we look out into our garden. But one thing that is in common in every, plant, in every place where we see new life starting to blossom is that it's connected at the roots still. If you have a bunch of grapes uh, from your fridge or wherever you keep your fruit bowl, uh, you would see that on any bunch of grapes, a great abundance of fruit has been produced. But uh, you will also see that uh, the vine that has nurtured and enabled that fruit to grow has lost its purpose. It's become disconnected from the root. So once all that fruit that you've eaten has uh, been deliciously taken up by our stomachs and by our mouths, um, you're left with just a useless twig of a vine at the end of it. That vine is still able to produce fruit, but it's just become disconnected from the vine. It's become disconnected from the roots. The church in Sardis is a bit like a bunch of grapes. They had all this great abundance of fruit on the stem, but there was no new life coming into it. The church had become disconnected from its roots. The church was not connected to Jesus. It may have looked fruitful, but really it was dead. Once that fruit had disappeared, it would just be thrown away. Let's take a moment just to think about, well, what does it happen then when we remain in Jesus? What's the difference that remaining in Jesus makes? We have a vine in our garden, and every summer we're constantly having to chop it back. Because the vine gives life. The vine gives momentum. It enables fruit to be produced. So if we are a church that's going to step into the call that God has for us, we need to be connected to the vine because if we don't remain connected, we're just not going to move. We're not going to grow. We're not going to advance. Without remaining in Jesus, without remaining rooted in him, we will just get stuck as a church and we will then inevitably die. Not only does remaining in Jesus give us momentum, but it also makes us fruitful. The call of the church is not just to exist, but it's to bear good fruit. The fruits of the Spirit dwelling up in our lives, pouring out into the world around us. But the church cannot bear fruit on its own. Instead, it will only ever be fruitful if it's connected to Jesus. And as we are fruitful, remaining in Jesus enables us to be a blessing to those around us. If you've got a bunch of grapes, those grapes don't just benefit the vine. They benefit those who appreciate the fruits, those who receive the fruits. And it's the same for a church. We're not just meant to get this great amount of blessing for the church, but this is the, the fruits of our labor are meant to be a blessing to the world around us that the kingdom of God might advance. And the only way that will happen 
is if we remain connected to Jesus. Whatever the reason was, the church in Sardis had lost its connection to the vine. It had lost its roots, its momentum, its fruitfulness, its purpose in being a blessing to people around it were in danger. They may have looked like they were full of life, but really they were dead. But the good news is that there was a way back. The church had still had a choice. Would they wake up? Would they recognize the life dripping out of their future? And would they return once again to Jesus? If we fail to wake up, if we continue to neglect our roots and not remain rooted in Jesus, Jesus is clear that there are consequences for that. Jesus says to the church in Sardis, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. If the church refused to wake up, all that they had held onto all the fruit that could be seen on their vine would be stripped away. And as that fruit was stripped away, not only would have they lost their connection to their vine, not only would have they lost their source of life and their identity, but they would have also lost all that blessing that they had already received. So how do we remain rooted in Jesus? Well, Jesus' message to the church is simple. There's two things. He says, remember. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast. And then repent. We remain rooted by remembering what it is that gives us life. How good is your memory? In our house, before every meal, we say grace together. We don't say this just out of a sense of tradition, but because as we say grace together, we remember together that it is God who has provided for us as we eat and as we share a meal around a table together. It may have been Rachel and I who've gone and done the shopping. It may have been Rachel, or very, very, very occasionally me, who's done the cooking. Uh, but it was God who has provided the meal that we are able to sit down and enjoy together. And so we say grace, not out of tradition, but as a doubt of a desire to remember. And I, rem I wonder where it might be that we need to be prompted, where we might need to be reminded to remember the blessings that God has given to us, that maybe we have taken for granted, that we've taken ownership of for ourselves. In our work, could it be that we need to remember that this job is not just our job that we've earned, that we've climbed up the career ladder to, but actually it's God's job that he has given to us and that is where he's asked us to live our lives in worship and in calling for him. In your marriage, in your family, will you remember that Jesus, or the, the, the family that Jesus has blessed you with? In the love that Jesus has shown you? Will you remember the grace and mercy that you've received? For us as a church, will you remember that this is more than just a weekly gathering, but you, by being a part of this church family here, any church family anywhere, you are a part of the body of Christ. Will you remember that? 
Jesus calls his church to remain rooted, to remember where their fruit comes from. The church is encouraged to remember, but it's also encouraged to repent. This is a common theme that we've heard Jesus urge uh, the church to do time and time again throughout all of the letters to the churches. And often I sense that our churches see the need for repentance in coming to faith. You know, you, you see the traditional image of someone comes to Jesus and they say the sinner's prayer, they repent of their sins and then they're a Christian forevermore. The great call of Peter at Pentecost to repent and be baptized. But repentance is not just about coming to faith. It's also about remaining in the faith. If you are drifting away from Jesus, there is good news. That connection can be restored. We will all drift away from Jesus from time to time. The challenge is, will we repent? Will we turn back? Will we come back to our roots? We can look like the most fruitful church in the world, but fruit alone can be deceptive. If we do not remain rooted, it doesn't matter how fruitful we are. We can just be a flash in the pan. We might see a bit of fruit, but it will only be for a season. Jesus wants us to protect our roots, to remember and to return to him. The church in Sardis had lost its roots, but there were some who remained faithful and were told that they will walk with Jesus dressed in white, for they are worthy, in verse 4. White is a significant color throughout the book of Revelation. It's a color that represents purity, that represents festivity, and that represents victory. And if you look down to verse 5, that's the same color that himself wears. So as we look to Jesus, he is wearing white. We see the one who is pure, the one who is the feast or the center of festivity, the one who is the source of victory. What a wonderful image of Jesus that alone is. But if we remain in Jesus, he will also remain faithful to us. He will share his identity. He will share his future with us. Where he's victorious, he will give us the clothes of victory. Where we are broken and hurting, he will bring purity. Where we are full of grief and despair, he will bring us joy and festivity. He will never forget us. He will not block us out or blot us out of his book of life. He will remain faithful as we remain rooted in him. Jesus isn't worried about how fruitful we are. He's much more concerned about how faithful we are. God has no problem making fruit. That's his job. He is the author of all creation. He's the giver of life. Hang around Jesus for long enough and you will start to see his fruit bubbling up in your life. People will see the life and fruit that you are producing and will be blessed through you, not because of any efforts that you've put in, but just because you're close to Jesus. But that fruit is not yours. It's not ours as a church. Instead, it's God's gift to us.
So let's not be focused on how the world sees around us. Let's not celebrate and take the fruit in our lives for granted. But let's remain rooted in Jesus and know that as we do so, we will never die and he will truly give us life and life in all its fullness and in all its abundance. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we gather together this morning, we want to declare again our desire to remain in you, to be rooted in you. We recognize that you are the giver of life. And so we want to keep that connection to you. Help us to remember the goodness that you have blessed us with, the source of life that already flows through you into our lives. And Lord, where we need to, would you help us to repent, to return back to you and receive the life of your fruits flowing through into our lives again. Lord, where there are problems, where we face difficulties, Lord, we pray that your life would break through, that your, bat- your victory would be seen. Forgive us for those times where we want to shy away from the battle in, these, in, in favor of an easy life. Lord, we long to see your fruit grow in us, but we recognize that you are the author and giver of life. And so this morning, may you, we, we remain in you, and we pray that your life will run through our veins and throughout our church, that your church may blossom and grow, not by our efforts, but by you, or by us remaining rooted in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.